Everybody sleep okay? How many of you had a rough night's sleep? Because that does happen. Because when I go to, we're in a different bed. We sleep in our own bed about six months out of the, you know, half the year. The rest of the time we're in just different places. And the novelty of hotels have wore off, okay? There's just different beds in different places. And there's no place we sleep, sleep as good as at home, but we have slept fairly good here. I've been up in my usual time in the middle of the night, and, uh, but I've been able to go back to sleep after praying and stuff, and that's been a blessing. Um, by the way, sleep is a gift from the Lord, and whenever you can get it, get it. Any of you have a chair that when you sit down in it, it says, sleep? <laughs> so do I. That's a blessing of the Lord. <laughs> I just... Just sit down and go to sleep. I don't know why. Joyce's folks, whenever one of them would fall asleep, they'd wake the other one up and say, Joe, are you sleeping? Yeah, I'm sleeping. Leave me alone. <laughs> so I told Joyce that I, we looked at each other and said, we ain't never going to do that. If one of them sleeping, tiptoe around and let them sleep as long as they can. Because you really don't get enough sleep. You should have eight hours of sleep. You, you really should. And most people don't get that anymore. Our fast-paced, driven life, we're revved up. I woke up this morning... 414 preaching. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles, you know, my poor wife. Because <laughs> I was so revved up last. That's the reason they call you Reverend, <laughs> I guess. You know, I was so revved up last night. I wake up and I think about the things I said that I wished I hadn't have said and the things I forgot to say that I wished I had and blah, blah, blah. You just always critique your own sermon and those kinds of things. And eh, it's just part and parcel of this journey. I'm going to give a real brief review. <clears throat> Our son, <clears throat> Joyce is hearing him preach each morning. She, she really, we don't get to hear him that much because our schedules rarely cross in something like this. Every once in a while we'll have a camp where both of us will be there. And I don't get to go out on the street with Brian as much as I'd like to. Like if he takes off and goes to State or uh, Lansing Commuter, some college around and sets up, I mean, that has to be a gift from God to take a paintboard in a high-tech culture and start drawing on it and do a couple of tricks and people stop. And you know who they are? When he's at U of M, he said he drew a crowd of 150 people. Most of them were people from foreign countries. You don't have to go to another country anymore. How do you know America is a melting? There is every culture represented China. I mean, you can go to places where the gospel is forbidden to be preached, but they come here and they figure this is just typical America. This is what Americans do, okay? And they stop and listen and they engage. That's the message he uses to present the gospel is just to win a hearing. And then he engages and talks to people and say, what do you think about that? What do you think about what I said? Well, I am a... And they go back and tell an atheist or whatever it would be. And then he shares. <clears throat> it's a seed planting time. He rarely sees fruit on the street. It's just a seed sowing time. But he does it. He's faithful to do that. And when he has high schoolers, he takes them from the creation to the cross. And he is seeing high school students come to Christ. He has a class in a large, whatever, 5A school in Howell. 185 students come once a week and they call it the biblical, they, they got to name it because he can't come busting in there. You have to have an invitation by a student and you have to have somebody on staff that gives you the green light to use a room and they have churches in the area pay for the pizzas and they come and have pizza. They call him the pizza Bible man, okay? And they'll eat pizza while he sits and shares in the drawing and stuff and engages and talks to them and provokes them to think 
And then after a while, when he shares the gospel with them, a month or two or three or four later, it's amazing how many responds like this. How many of you know the gospel is a no-brainer once you understand it? It's like, who would not want to receive the gift of salvation? I'm going to try to make it through this thing on my own when Christ has done all that I need for life and godliness? And it's like, of course, yes, I want to receive Christ. And it's, it's just a, it's a blessed ministry. It really is. So Joyce is over there with him. Okay. Um, well, I hope someday this changes. <laughs> nah, Lord, thank and everything give thanks. Thank you, God. The Gospel, brief review, uh, book one. Understand the Gospel. Preach it to yourself till you really have it down well. What is the Gospel? Know what it is and know what it is not. The Gospel is not missions. The Gospel is not church. The Gospel is not serving. The Gospel is not, it's not all the things we attach to the Gospel. Those things are results. Like tonight, I'm going to speak on temperance. Okay, then what does this look like? I believe in Jesus. What is this supposed to do? What, what is temperance? That's that, one of those fruit of the Spirit, self-control, which I don't like that word. I, I, how many of you know self-control is what gets us in trouble? We need control of self. How many of you saw the difference in that? I need somebody. I need the Holy Spirit of God controlling this thing of my life. And uh, <clears throat> so what is the gospel? The gospel is what you heard last night. It is what God has done for us. It's his doing. I had nothing to do with it. I did not contribute one ounce to God's plan of redemption. Now, he can, I either can believe that he finished the work. When he said it's finished, the debt was paid. I can't contribute anything to paying my debt. Okay, I believe that. Okay, you believe that. What happens? What does it mean? Because there are people who nod their head to the series of events called the gospel and think, there, I got that taken care of. And they walk away and never give God another thought. Can I tell you something? They didn't believe the gospel that Jesus preached. This is going to bring a change in your life. There's going to be some differences. What are they? What do they look like? What part do I contribute? Because you and I contribute to temperance. We don't contribute to uh, justification. Being justified. That's something God does. But now, what does it mean, this progressive sanctification, growing in grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? That's what we'll be talking about tonight. But know the gospel. When I understood the gospel and embraced it, see, the gospel is... <laughs> Jesus didn't call people to a teaching. He called them to himself. How have you saw that? that? That's the difference. He called them, come follow me. You know? He didn't say, here's this nifty little agenda, do that. He said, come follow me. Um, but as to, to as many as received him, him, the person, Christ liveth in me, Paul said. That changes the whole ball game. Christ, is, Christ liveth in me. And this is life eternal that they may know thee, the only true God and his son, Jesus Christ. Him. Big difference than just, oh, this series of events. No, those series of events made him available to me by faith. Oh, I'm into tonight's message. I'll give you this one. I'll get back to this. <laughs> Colossians 2, what is it? 5, 6, 7, 8, somewhere in there. It says, for as ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord. How many of you know when people trust Jesus as their Savior, they get him as Lord whether they submit to him as Lord yet or not? Would you agree with that? He comes in as Lord and wants nothing but Lordship in our life. But to his... To him, see, for as ye have received Christ Jesus the Lord, here's the next one, so walk ye in him. How did I receive him? By grace through faith. How do I walk with him? By grace through faith. 
I need grace and faith after salvation as much as I needed it before salvation. How many of you followed that? You can't get saved any other way than by grace through faith. You can't live the Christian life any other way than by grace through faith. Guess where you get that from? Jesus, who was full of grace and truth. Jesus, the personal relationship stuff. Know the gospel. I don't know, it must have been four or five years ago now. I don't know how long. How many of you say something's been four or five years ago and it was seven and eight? It's going by that quick. Okay, I don't know. It's been, it's been a while ago. This happened. Each one of our sin, sons and daughters, independent of each other, during about a three-month period, called me special and said, Dad, just thank you for teaching us the gospel. And I said, oh, praise the Lord. I said, you get the gospel? We just knew you'd make it. You'll be all right if you, if you really get the gospel. Who it is? The per- Christ is the gospel, you know. And then, I don't know, a few weeks later, we'll say Ben started it. And then uh, Ellen called. And she said, Dad, just thank you for teaching us the gospel. And I thought, huh. Yeah, oh, well, yeah, we talked a little while. And then a little while later, Brian or Lydia, one of them called. And after about the third one called, I said, what would you guys do? Get together and say we need to thank God thank dad for teaching us the gospel or something they said no why well i said your brother and sister has already done it and the independent of each other somehow in their journey of faith where they were at they realized that that it all is contingent well, their whole life is contingent upon that day they understood and believed the gospel of jesus christ and where they hear it they heard their crazy old dad preaching it for years and here I'm just up here, just, if I preach the gospel tomorrow, it will be the same gospel I preached last night. It won't be the same message, but it'll be the same Savior. It'll be Christ. It's preach, preach Christ. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. You preach Jesus. And they got it. And then finally, the last one called me and told me, and I realized that God had done that to encourage me, to encourage you. Talk about the gospel to your family. Talk Jesus to them. Do all you can to teach them about Christ. You cannot save them. Come on, parents, say amen to that. Would you agree with that? You can't save them, but you can preach the Savior to them. Talk them and let them see Christ in you and the struggles you have, the reality of the Christian journey. Every day is not roses and rainbows. Some days it is a slug fest. You are in the battle following Christ, okay? And let them know the reality of those things. Know what the gospel is, because the gospel is going to change. I believe you can be S-A-V-E-D, saved and still not live like you're saved on certain occasions. Would you agree with that? Live like somebody that needs to be saved. <laughs> you're saved, you're just slugging it out, and struggling right now, but eventually you turn yourself back to Christ. You see, oh my, uh, that hasn't changed. This changes, that never changes. So just know the gospel, know what it is, and share it with them. Then prayer, it's where God and human beings meet. It is contact with deity. Spend time in prayer. If you don't have a prayer time, I would just encourage you, have a time where you say, this is my prayer time. I I pray during this time. Mine is 5 a.m., sometimes earlier, sometimes by the grace of God, I get to sleep, and it's later. But I say, in the morning. David said, oh, Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto you. So I said, well, okay, David chose the morning. He also had other places where he said, at evening, which is where the Jewish day starts, is in the evening, not the morning. He said, at evening and at morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud unto thee. Is what he did is he had a time. Solomon, his son, wrote in Ecclesiastes, there is time to everything there is a purpose. To every purpose, I don't want to sing this song. <laughs> to every okay. there's a time for every purpose under heaven there we go do you have a prayer time 
where you don't answer your phone, you don't talk to other people. You say, I go in and spend five minutes with God. And if you have a time, time needs a place. You need to have a place. When I first started learning to pray, not how to pray, learning to pray, I'm going to do this. This is going to become a part of my life. Because it's not a natural thing, it's a spiritual thing. And some people take, take to certain things. My wife took to prayer so early in her life. She was a praying woman. I don't know why she, and I grew up in the church. She didn't grow up in the church. I grew up in the church, and I had the biggest struggle of my journey was taking time to pray. I was so independent from God. It was such a battle for me to do this. And yet finally I said, I can't do it unless I say I'm going to do it this time. And then I built a prayer room, a closet down in our basement. It was just all dark, had a light in it and stuff. And I had prayer verses all over the walls that the kids had colored and written out for me and stuff. And I would go there, and I finally learned this is my place of prayer, and this is my time of prayer. I chose 5 a.m., and my, my body, finally, mind, everything, 5 a.m., <laughs> eyes are open. It's trained. I don't need an alarm clock. And eyeballs open, and I get up, and I go down. Because if I went and sat in my chair to pray, I'll guarantee you, I said, Dear Heavenly Father, <laughs> how many of you have ever had that one happen to you? We throw stones at Peter and James and John, but all of us, if we're honest, have fallen asleep praying, which is not a bad way to fall asleep. But it's not what you want to do. There's a time for sleep and there's a time for praying. And so I had to stand up and I had to move to stay awake at that time of the morning to learn to pray. And it's well worth it now. Now God has given me a gift. I can wake up laying in bed, sometimes in the middle of the night, and I'm as awake as I am right now. And I'll say, oh, Lord, I love you. I praise you. That's how I always start my prayers. Lord, I love you. I praise you. I bless you. I glorify your holy name. For you are God and there is none else. You are God and there is none other. You declare the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things which have not yet been done. Behold, all your counsel will stand and you will do all your pleasure. Oh, when morning gills the sky, my heart awakening cries, may Jesus cry. And I just go into time. First thing you want to do when you pray is tell God you love him and worship him. He made us to worship. Just enter into his presence with thanksgiving. <clears throat> Those are game changers, and they're well, well worth the discipline of learning to do. And prayer is something we must learn to do. A time and a place is so valuable. Just a time and a place. And though that kind of stuff is in book two on learning to pray. Um, and then the Word of God yesterday morning, reading it. It's our instruction manual for life. It's our roadmap. It's on how we learn to follow God and walk in the Spirit be the people God wants us to be. It's a faith builder. How if you know as you read the Word of God, you don't even realize it. As you listen to someone preach the Word of God, you know what's happening, whether you realize it or not, your faith is being increased. Faith is something, faith cometh by hearing and hearing. Anybody know the rest of that verse? By the Word of God. Just hear the Word of God. I, uh, my wife has never had anybody cold turkey uh, witness to her. She just looks like a saint or something. I don't know, nobody ever, oh, there goes a Christian one. And I have had a number of people come up to me and share the gospel. And I let them do it. Okay, I'm a preacher. I must look lost. I don't know what the deal is. People share the gospel with me or something. There's a guy that needs Jesus. Okay, I don't know. And they'll come up and they'll share it. And I'll let them go through the whole thing just because I know hearing what they're saying, if it's the truth of the gospel, will strengthen my faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Read it, study it, memorize it, get in this book, make it a part of your life. He said, I had a man tell me one time, he says, I consider myself a Christian, but he said, I have absolutely no interest in the Bible. Hi, you're just a little red flag starting to flutter. He said, I consider myself a Christian, he says, but I don't go to church and I have no desire to. And he said, I don't see the importance or need of prayer. 
I'm wondering if he's a Christian or not. How do you know right now? I'm wondering, are you, do you know what you just said? You consider yourself a Christian and there is no Christ-likeness in you. I say, well, you have every reason to check your pulse. You may not be born again. Now, you may be saved, but you have no reason for peace that you are. I mean, the, when he comes in, how do you know he will give us a desire for these kinds of things? Then you know what he says? You need to feed that desire. Let me give you, here, this is a, a quote worth writing down. Feed your faith and your fears will starve to death. Feed your faith and your fears will begin to starve to death. There's no room for them. Faith is, faith is the substance, man. It's the tangibles of my journey, my walk through this life of faith in Christ. Feed your faith and your fears will starve to death. And there is no better balanced meal than the living word of God. If you have a Bible, and I think I can ask for a show of hands, and most every hand in here went up. Most of you have more than one copy. Just make it, personalize it, make it precious to you. Make it something, I, I, I can live without a lot of these things. I can't live without this thing right here. And that's the reason I encourage scripture memory, because if they do take these away from us someday, what you have in your hearts, what you've got, nobody can take away. It's yours. Seal the deal. Work at it. And it is work. Study to show thyself approved to God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about another essential. <clears throat> and there's room for disagreement with me on this. If you want to be wrong, you know, <laughs> I hope you're laughing at that. I, I haven't got this all figured out. For, but for my own journey, because see, I don't have to live off your theology, but I do have to live off mine. And as I, now you can back me up 30 years ago or more, and, and in my journey, I'm going to church now, and I'm hearing a lot of preaching and rubbing shoulders, going to Christian things and Bible studies and I'm thinking, what? before I ever felt called of God to preach, I never would have dreamed that. Joyce and I had chosen, see, in 1980, we went to a marriage conference. So this is just a year and a half after I commit my life to Christ. And we go to a marriage conference. And uh, the guy who talked about family and about kids. And I, but that, back then, 1980, we had a bunch of little kids. We had four small children. Lydia had been only two years old. And... Uh, <clears throat> He talked about marriage as being something that is a good ministry. And I thought, marriage is a ministry? Can I, long story short that, some verses God began to bring on the screen, on my radar, to consider was, uh, if any man care not for his own, comma, especially those of his own household, he is worse than an infidel and has denied the faith. And I went, whoa. What strong language is that? If a man doesn't care for his own, if he, he's, he's out here trying to take care of everybody else's, to the neglect of his own, it says he's denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. I thought, whoa, whoa. And then uh, later on you hear some guy up there, maybe the pastor was preaching on uh, qualifications for leadership within the church about deacons and elders and that kind of stuff. And basically what he said was, your main credentials for ministry is your family. In other words, if you're going to preach about the power of Christ to change lives, and he's not changing yours, what are you going to try to, why would you want to market that? Why do you want to try to peddle that? If your own family is going to hell in a handbasket, and you're telling people about the power of Christ to change your family, it doesn't, they don't match. And I thought, huh. So I noticed he said, that it's not your PhDs, it's not your initials behind your name. If your kids have gone to the devil, if you're, you, your, your marriage is busted all apart. 
And I, so these kind of things kept coming in there on me. The Deuteronomy 6, you know, supposed to teach and learn these things. And then you and your wife are supposed to teach these things diligently unto your children. When you rise up, when you lie down, you walk by the way. And I said, wow. So uh, without going into all the different scriptures that went into us making this decision, Joyce and I looked at each other one day and said, what is our ministry? Where's, if you're a Christian, you have not been saved to be a spectator. Come on, let's have a little better amen than that. We are not supposed to be watching the parade go by. Get in it. What is this supposed to show to the world? Who, By the way, how many of you know, once you say you're a Christian, the world will slide you under the microscope. Would you agree with that? They will look at your life and say, okay, you're a Christian and I'm not. What's the difference? Well, how we live. How then must you live? What, what is my life going to look like? And uh, so we sat down. And I said, I'll tell you this, honey. I see verses like, husbands, love your wife. Watch this. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. He died. Whoa. I said, you're my ministry. And she said, you're my ministry. I said, we, you got two radically different individuals. My goodness, my wife and I are as different as day and night. I am brilliant. Oh, I'm glad you're laughing, okay? Oh, what a fool I have been so many times. Seeing myself as I'm not, and she knows me. My wife actually knows me and loves me, if you can imagine that. To know a person is one thing, to know them, who they really are. See, I let you know what's safe. You don't live with me. She knows me. Okay, you get my best side when I'm in front of you, okay? Which ain't much, but it's the best I got, all right? It's, she knows me, and she has chosen to love me. When I hurt my foot, and I was on a walker, for, I mean, I wasn't even on a walker for the first few weeks, I'm crawling around. I mean, it's just horrible. on my knees, going up and downstairs, and, and the pain it was something, I'd, I'd lived most all my life, no pain, and I couldn't get away from it, and I couldn't take the dope, they tried three or four different kind of stuff, I'm either hallucinating or getting mean, or it's just, I, so finally I just settled, what is it, Tylenol, about a two or three or whatever, they, some extra strength Tylenol, and it didn't do anything. And, uh, and she's doing everything. She's stoking the stove. I mean, we heat with wood, and, she, and I love to stoke. I just love to stoke a stove. And she's going out, and I cut the pieces my size, and she's, she's doing it. She's taking care of the chores and doing the cow and the cows and taking care of all that kind of stuff. And finally I said, honey, I said, I don't know how you can love me. I, I said, I, I'm not able to do anything for you. She, looked, she says, I don't love you for what you can do for me. I love you for who you are. You're my husband. She said, Jesus don't love us for what we can do for him, Tom. He loves us because of who we are. We're his children. I said, that'll preach. I'll take, I'll take that, okay? <laughs> That's true. How of you know that is true? Would you agree with that? She loves me for who I am. I'm her husband. She don't have a whole bunch of them to choose from. You're the one. And she says, I'm going to love you, shortcomings and all. Because if you only love the good points, you're gonna, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of days you don't feel like loving them, okay? So you're just, feelings ain't going to run me. This is the truth. This is what we're going to do. And so we've learned to love one another. And then we said, well, what's next? After this ministry to one another, what's next? And it was going to be to our kids. It's just to our children. Man, the challenge, everybody ought to have kids just for the challenge of seeing yourself in the mirror. Y'all need somebody to show you who you really are. 
and to raise your kids up right. Oh my goodness. And I would get angry with my kids and be loud and threatening and all kinds of stupid. You know, once you get loud, you've already been defeated. Did you know that? You've already lost. Learning, see, all this stuff is learning to change me. I can't change them. I've got to change me. Um, becoming the spiritual leader in our home. Joyce was a spiritual leader the first, I don't know, five, six, seven years. I remember the day she handed me the baton of leadership in our home. I mean, Joyce was taking the kids to church. I, was, I worked three Sundays a month, so I had my excuse. I was either working days, afternoons, or midnights. And if I, midnights, I'm too tired. Afternoons, I haven't got enough time. I've got to get ready to go to work kind of stuff. I had excuses. Only my long weekends, so I maybe would go seven, eight times a year on a long weekend. Most long weekends, I'd plan to take off. Let's go someplace. You know, let's do something. Because I was miserable in church. I hate going to church because I was miserable. you know when you're on the run from God, you're miserable? I was miserable. And she would take the kids to church, and she's teaching them Bible stories and doing all this kind of stuff. And uh, finally, I commit my life to Christ and start getting going for the Lord. And I still had a lot of baggage. Man, I had a lot of baggage. And uh, I'm changing. I'm going to church. Pretty soon, I'm reading Bible stories to the kids, and things are happening. But she's still the leader, she, and the kids are looking to her. My mom was a spiritual leader in our home. She was. But I knew God wanted me to be. Step up to the plate, Tom. You be the first one to take the hits. Take the leadership in this thing. And, well, yeah. We had heard a sermon, and the guy preached this sermon, and it was... Uh, he said, if you're really serious about growing on in your journey, fulfilling your God-given roles and responsibilities, because the only difference between a man and a woman is difference in roles, okay? Provider, protector, those kind of things. And over here is uh, uh, her roles, his roles, her roles. They're just roles. Before God, both have exactly the same capacity to reflect the glory of God. There's no difference between a man and a woman. But they just have different roles. And there is a difference. A man usually is bigger, not always, but usually bigger than his wife. Uh, and so he should do more of the heavy work, carrying, just those simple things. It's, to me, it just seems so obvious. Um, and uh, he, the guy in the sermon said, ask somebody that knows you if they see anything in your life that if you don't deal with it, it's going to undo you. Now, that's the way he said it. If you don't deal with it, because we're blind. He said, you, you just don't see everything in your life. And you may have developed a, herb, a habit or your personality has been so shaped by this particular shortcoming that you don't even see it as a problem. Like everybody else, get your act together. Okay, just, hey. And so I thought, boy, that's true. Well, who knows me? I've gotten, uh, people, I am not easy to get close to. I, for whatever reason, insulate myself to a degree. I'll let you in this close. I have... Well, I had the three good close friends. If a man has five friends in his lifetime, he's a rich man. Most men don't have, I'm not talking about the fair weather acquaintances. I'm talking about somebody who's with you when you're right, when you're wrong, when you're up, when you're down. Those are hard to find. Not fair weather. Just, and these guys, every one of them had to invade. They had to get me on that with confrontational kinds of questions and even criticisms for me over a, quite an extended period of time. Now, one of my best friends died three years ago. Man, I miss that guy. He cared enough to confront me and those kind of things. But, and then Scott and then Don, and he's in, moved away to China. He's a missionary in China now. It's kind of hard to have a closeness of friendship, but when they do come home, we... So he said, but I didn't have them at that time. They, I didn't let anybody in. So I said, my wife knows me. My wife does know me. 
there's nothing my wife doesn't know about me. There's things I wish I could have kept secret from her and from everybody. But God said, you want a clear conscience? You've got to have her. How do you know the devil loves secrets and God, God loves transparency? Did you know that? That's not as easy. But I'm wanting to walk with the Lord. And he said this the next thing. So Joyce knows me. So I went to Joyce and I said, honey, because I've changed so much, I'm not swearing anymore. I mean, that, that may not be a big deal to you. My wife's never sworn in her life. But I had a vulgar, vile mouth. And God, by his grace, took it away. The tongue can no man tame. I couldn't have done this on my best day. I used to try to quit swearing. I had a buddy of mine. I said, hey, when I swear you slug me, when you swear I'll slug you. We beat each other to a pulp and neither one of us quit swearing. You can't do that in your own energy, okay? And so she knew God was dealing with my life. I'm going to church and I'm, I'm growing. And I thought, I'll go to Joyce because she loves me. And she knows me. And I'll say, honey, do you see anything in my life? If I don't deal with it, it's going to undo me. She said, funny, you should ask. <laughs> And she went down through this list of stuff, and I went, and the Holy Spirit said, amen, to every one of them, like, oh, oh. I said, really? And, you know, one of them, I get loud when the kids get out of hand, and, oh, just, and it was so true, and I didn't realize I ain't a big deal. God, get over it, you know. For me, to somebody else. So I said, honey, pray for me. I'm going to try to deal with some of that stuff. And about six months went by, and can I tell you something? There were some changes happening. There's no question about it. Change it. And I got to feel. How have you ever have good? How have you <laughs> know the difference? You have good days and bad days no matter how good a Christian you are. How many of you follow what I just tried to say? I don't care. You can be walking with the Lord and still have a bad day, okay? Things can just, the bottom falls out of things. The unexpected happens, all that kind of stuff. But I, I was on a roll for about three, three good days in a row. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go to her again and ask her now, because I've been dealing with some of these things. And we'll see how they're doing. I said, honey. Do you see anything in my life? If I don't deal with it, it's going to undo me. Another list, a totally different list. Wow, she, was, she went down through those things. And the Holy Spirit's amen and say, that's right, Tommy, you got to deal with it. I was so discouraged. I'll tell you, I got gun shy. I'm not asking that woman. She knows me too well, so I'm just, I'll find some stranger. Do you know anything about me? Huh? It took me about a year to get up the nerve, and I had grown. Can I tell you something? I'm actually, I got Sunday school classes now, and I'm, man, I'm really growing. And things are changing our family. We're having, I pray with my children at night. and I mean, there's so many things that were happening that I knew were good. But here's where she handed the baton to me. I went to her, and it was on a, in a good time. It wasn't something fresh where I'd failed and blah, blah, blah. And I said, honey, do you see anything in my life? If I don't deal, it's going to undo me. And she was on the edge of getting out another list. I could tell she was. She looked at me, and she's thinking. She's praying. What do I do here, Lord? And then she looked at me, and she said, nothing you ain't dealing with. She handed me the baton. Can I tell you, men, you want your wives, you want your kids to follow you? Quit dealing with them and start dealing with you, and they'll follow you. You get the 2020 off of them and put it on your own soul. And she saw me dealing with the trash that was in my life. She saw me dealing with things. She said, do you see anything? It's nothing you ain't dealing with. She saw me dealing with. That's leadership. Leadership is when you're going someplace and people find. If nobody's following, you ain't leading anybody. And the family and I, I took on my spiritual leadership then. That's in that book on, for me and my house. Now, uh, let me see. I haven't looked at these. I should. 
if I could summarize what this book is on, it's black and white. I chose, I, did, I designed all, every cover. I have zero creativity in me for things like this. I prayed about it, said, God, what do you want here? Because in this book is a theme that you'll see run through it, and it's, it's basically choices you make. God gives us the liberty to make whatever choice you want to make, but he doesn't give you the liberty to choose the consequences. You live with the consequences of your choices. If it's a good choice, you get a benefit. If it's a bad choice, you get a consequence. And we make them. And if we're honest, if we're honest, everybody in this room is one bad choice away from making a mess out of your life. We could screw up. We could, I mean, a big time deal. We could make that kind of choice. I need God to be influencing all my choices. I'm making them. And he gives me liberty. He said, make your choices. <laughs> Prophets of Baal, Elijah. How long halt ye between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, serve him. But if, Gael, if Baal's God, serve him. But quit trying to serve both. That's what the Jews were doing. Some of you say they'd forsaken Jehovah. No, they didn't. They were just trying to serve Baal and Yahweh at the same time, and you can't do it. Either he is God, Jesus, or everything else is God. And we make a choice, and we made a choice as a family. We will serve the Lord. For as for me and my house, we will serve. That's a choice. He said, boys, Joshua said, got him on the plane of Shechem, and he says, to all the leaders, all the elders of Israel, he said, and he reviews their history. He gives them how God's hands from Egypt to the wilderness wanderings to Jericho, and uh, they've got 80% of the land of promise occupied. And he gathers them all and says this, if it seems evil unto you to serve the Lord God, in other words, if, if it doesn't seem right for you to serve the God that we've just talked about, he said, then choose you this day who you will serve. Because you're going to serve somebody. How many of you know that everybody on the planet is serving somebody? Do you know who we... Do you know who most of humanity serves? We are self-serving people by nature. But he says, if you want to do that, that's your choice. you got the liberty to make whatever choice you want to make. But he says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to serve Jehovah. We're going to serve God. And so you make those kind of choices. And Joyce and I made choices. She's my ministry. You're a byproduct. Can I tell you something? If Joyce and I had something come between us and we couldn't get back into fellowship, oneness, the enemy had taken and run with it. And we, I wouldn't preach. I'll guarantee you I would not preach tonight if we got out of fellowship. And the devil knows that. And Joyce and I know it too. And we know what to do to stay in fellowship. Keep your accounts current. <laughs> if you let things build, can I tell you something? The devil will add fuel to the fire. What's something that could have been dealt with an hour before, two hours later, is out of hand. That fire got out of control, kind of stuff. We've learned that. <clears throat> Keep your accounts current. <clears throat> Sin is all it is. is stupid. <clears throat> when Joyce and I got to the place where we understood what our problems were, because I was thinking if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't be acting like this. Any of you ever had that one happen to you or not? If you hadn't done this, I wouldn't be having this. I wouldn't be ticked off if you'd have done what I asked you to do. Amen. Somebody, please help me, okay? <laughs> That's a junk I fall into. And same thing with her. I've done some tick her off and blah, 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 blah,
You'd never know it sometimes the way I'd looked at her or what I've said to her or what she's looked at. My wife doesn't say bad things to me. She just gives me one of them rotten looks. I hate them looks because they're worse than cuss me out or tell me what you're thinking. I just can't stand them looks, okay? Because usually she'll look right by me, you know. I'm talking to her, oh, I'm preaching my sermon. She tuned out, zoned right out. Hey! I'm talking to you! That's only happened once. We haven't, well, it's only happened once in our marriage. How of you would wish it only happened once in your marriage? Okay. Well, you've made the fool. And we finally figured this out in our journey of faith. God revealed this to us. She's not the problem. I'm thinking she's the problem. And if we didn't have this problem, she hadn't have done this. And she's thinking, I wouldn't have this problem if he hadn't have done this. She's not the problem, and I'm not the problem. It's the stinking sin that's in us that's the problem. Once you identify the problem, you can deal with the problem. You know what the, how did Jesus deal with the sin problem? The cross. You and I got to go to the cross, honey, because I can't change you and you can't change me, but God, glory to his name, can change us both. Let's go to the cross. And we'd humble ourselves before God and each other, bring God in the mix and pray. It was amazing. And we thought, this is cool. We finally figured this out. It's the stinking sin that's in us. It's there, it's in us. It didn't go away. I've been cleansed and the penalty and power has been broken, but it still resides and there's still sinful impulses where a Christian can act not Christian. But that's not the design God has for him. He has Christ for him to follow Christ and live Christ-like. Is it possible? Can I tell you something? The grace of God is greater than any sin you and I will ever have to deal with. Where sin abounded, anybody know the rest of that? Grace did much more abound. He giveth more grace. That's the, uh, I don't know, tomorrow or Friday's Bible lesson. Okay. So we've learned that in our journey. And by the way, the devil is carnivorous. He loves flesh. Lions eat meat. They're not vegetarians. When you and I give him flesh, he comes in like a roaring lion and he devours us. Give him no flesh. Give him only spirit to meet him. He's no match for a spirit-filled Christian. Now, let's see if there's anything that I was, I haven't said much of anything I was going to say. This book, I would say that chapter one is worth the price of the book. Which, by the way, I'm not selling books. You want a book, just take a book and welcome. That, just do that. Just take a book. And... Uh, Chapter 1 deals with the first family. If we don't understand the first family, you won't understand why you have problems in your own family on occasion. You won't understand why your children are so much like you. Amen, Tom. Good preaching. Thank you. Come on, help me. <laughs> I, you know, your kids are like you, whether you want to admit it or not. That, that, that's you in, in the flesh right there. How to help them. How to give them that understanding. It's fun to watch our children who have seen Joyce and I work through things and now they're so our kids are so much further ahead with their own children than we were when we were trying to raise them oh my goodness oh my goodness and it's just a joy to see and a blessing to see them loving each other because they know they're just a couple of sinners that need the grace of God to follow Christ that's they just need the grace of God well let me try to introduce what I want to talk to you on tomorrow which I'd like to be down to Matt and is it Leah's? Lee's a session that they're having on Ephesians 6. I don't know if they've ever heard of this book. I, I might, if I get a chance to talk with them, recommend it. It's called The Christian in Complete Armor. Any of you ever heard of that book? 
It's a 16th century book written by a Puritan by the name of William Grinnell. When Spurgeon was asked who had a library the size of this, is this the west side over here, west wing? His library, you know, as high as you could reach, was filled with books. He was a reader, prolific reader and writer. Obviously, if you've ever read the Psalms of David from by Spurgeon, some of that, just detailed work. They asked him one time, if you could only have one book other than your Bible, which one would you have? That quick, he said, The Christian in Complete Armor by William Grinnell. Well, I had a pastor friend recommend that to me. Now, at that time, I had probably read 20 books at least on the subject of spiritual warfare because none of this was in my theology 25, 30 years ago for sure, but around 25 years, none of it. I didn't believe in a real devil. I was a Christian growing in grace, believed the Bible, but for some reason, the devil had blind me from my particular growing up. It's basically ignore the devil and he'll leave you alone. I haven't found that verse. I have found resist the devil and he'll flee from you, but I've not found ignore the devil and he'll leave you alone. Sign a, priest, sign a peace treaty with Satan and he'll keep it. Can I tell you something? You sign a peace treaty with the devil, he'll break it quicker than Hitler did the day he signed with Poland. He'll sign it in the morning and bomb you that night. I mean, it is, it is, he's a liar. He's a murderer. And the things about... <clears throat> it is 1,200 pages, so it's not an easy read. And he just deals with Ephesians 6, <clears throat> verses 10 through 18. 1,200 pages. If you've not read anything on warfare before and you're still kind of maiden voyaging and fledgling along in that, don't read that book. It'll overwhelm you. When I read it through the first time, I've read it through three times now. First time I read it, I gave it to Joyce and I said, honey, you've got to read this book. Because she reads, I read, and sometimes we're reading the same stuff, sometimes we ain't. And she read about 20 pages, maybe, in it. And she brought it back to me. She said, no comprende. I don't get this. He said, I, I, I'm not ready to read this. I said, okay. And I hunted around and found somebody had taken some of his works because I cannot find a one paragraph in it that's fluff. There's no filler. It's all meat and potatoes. In other words, you could open it up and read that paragraph and it'd give you enough to chew on that whole day. It's just, he, it, it's just beyond anything. It is... A man uh, was walking in the Spirit as he spent years of his life writing out what it means to be a Christian in complete armor. She's speaking on the, the armor of God. Our position, our identity, what that means, what the armor is. Um, but I had read probably 20 books on that. So I read uh, Wearsby's book on um, the strategy of Satan. and Mark Bubeck's books on overcoming the darkness and I, I just read a number of books getting me up there because I'm thinking, how come I've read this book a number of times at that time and I never saw that stuff? Why can I read, how can I be a pastor and teach through the book of James and never mention the devil? How did that happen? It says resist, the, submit yourselves to God, resist. What do you do with that verse, Tom? I must have went, I don't know what happened. I just never, I never dealt with it. How can you read Ephesians and not see that stuff? How can you read First Peter, be sober, be vigilant, for your eyes say the devil is roaring lion, walking about seeking whom, he, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren and in the world? Uh, how do you do that? I don't know how I did it. I just was able to ignore him. I guess my background had just taught me, just don't say anything about the devil. If you do, 
you wish you hadn't. I mean, I had that kind of a philosophy, like, you know, when I start talking about the devil, you'll start having trouble. <laughs> Sounds like a spirit of fear to me. Now, you know, he's not giving us a spirit of fear, but of love and a power and a sound mind. What do you do with those kind of verses? You see, none of that stuff was gelling, coming together with me, but I knew I had some sins and some baggage in my life that I couldn't seem to get victory over. They were secret sins that nobody knew about, nobody but God. How do you know what I just said? He knows them all. Would you agree with that? Well, we can keep them from one another, but he knew about them things. <clears throat> and I said, maybe I got a demon. Oh, no, I grew up here. No Christian can have a demon. No, no demon can bother a Christian. Blah, blah, blah. Kind of stuff. I said, it can't be that. And so I began to, my own search, my own journey of faith. And then I can remember the first time, to my shame, I had had a problem with pornography, that secret sin nobody knew about. Nobody but God. And the devil would use it against me, and I'd be defeated in those areas. And you call yourself a Christian. How do you know the accuser of the brethren will take any sin you commit and make you a lost person if he could? He'll take your sin, he'll rub your face in I said, God, is there any hope for me? Is there any help for me in this? I hate it. Would you help me in this? Maybe I got some demonic issues, okay? I don't know. I never thought about that. Why am I driven sometimes when the Holy Spirit leads? See, these are simple, basic questions. You should ask yourself, how do you know the Holy Spirit will never drive you to do anything? When you're driven, it's of the wicked spirit. When you're led, how do you know the good shepherd leads his sheep? Come on, I, you're, you know your scriptures well enough. To, and I begin to test this and try to think, God, what is going on in here? In this? Is there an unseen enemy? Does he fire darts at my control center to get me to think a certain way? And if I don't know how to deal with that first thought with a shield of faith and quench all the fire, what does this mean? How does that work out? So you see, in my journey, and I've done it, I feel like the Lord is leading me next year to start studying warfare again. About every four or five years, I'll do a series on warfare because God raises the bar. He says, Tom, the higher the ladder, the sharper the knives. The closer you want to get to me, the more he wants to find some chink in your armor to take a shot to take you out. How even though the devil would love to have my scalp hanging from his belt? Can I tell you something? A whole lot better Christians than me he's taken out. He's absolutely destroyed men that could preach circles around me that had better men. I mean, and you see him crashing and burning toward the end. I'm going, why? And the devil just kind of warming his hands. Because he was negligent. He, he didn't think I could do it. And I rose to the challenge and just waited for my chance. Just let him get a little too close to that water hole. Just let him get older and think he can live off yesterday's grace. Just let me, I'll wait my time and I'll attack. We have a vicious enemy. He would love to destroy every person in this room. And we don't seem that way. He's not this red-suited, little horn in the pitchfork kind of guy. He's beautiful. He's seductive. And he is cunning. He is not wise, but very intelligent. There's a difference between intelligence and wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. Say amen. You don't get that in place. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask from God who gives all. But he's intelligent. He has taken tricks as old as the garden and refined and polished them to a point he can slide them on the plate of the best believer and they eat it not even knowing it is from him. We got an A game when it comes to spiritual warfare. And for most of the church we're ignorant. And he's had a part in it. Because if you believe in a real God you've got to believe what God says in chapter 3 of Genesis there's a real devil. And he even is in Revelations chapter 20, verse 10, and throughout the book. 
I needed to take something serious I had been treating like a Halloween character. Nope. Rise of the occasion. I can remember sitting in a pastor's conference in Detroit, 2,000 pastors. Now, I, God set me free from, I've never seen internet pornography, and I'm so thankful I just never have. Uh, my kind of pornography was filthy bookstores. And, but there you run the risk of somebody seeing you. There's, uh, I can't imagine the privacy of my own home with the click of a few buttons to have about anything imaginable. I can't imagine it. That, that would be a temptation unbelievable. I got victory in the overtness of my sin really quite quickly. God set me free from going, but I didn't need to go and see it. I didn't need to look at a stinking dirty book. That stuff had places in my mind. I, you, you can't take a decade and pour that crap into your mind and expect it to go away in a song and a prayer. And he'd bring it up at the worst times, my most vulnerable times. So I didn't need him. I had these vain imaginations, fantasies. I was sitting, and, I, and the times between my defeat were getting bigger, and the length of my victories were getting longer. I was coming, but I knew I wasn't free. It wasn't like my filthy mouth where God set me free. I, I, was, I was growing in grace, and this is good. God, we learn things in the slugfest. We don't learn when the battle's done. Did, it, did that make any sense? There's something about knowing I... I got to the place where I used to say, thank you, God, for using Satan to remind me of how much I need you. I need you, God. I can't do this by myself. I'm in a pastor's conference. Ben, our 16-year-old son, he's 15 at that <clears throat> who, by the way, just told me, Dad, I'm struggling. If you think you can grow up in this culture without seeing pornography, you're nuts. You're crazy. There's no, you could cloister yourself in a convent someplace, and it'll still be there. It's just there. It's part of, you can't check out at a grocery store without seeing things. It's better off not to see. We're sitting there in a, and I'm struggling because he's struggling. I know he's struggling because my umbrella's leaking and he's getting some of the baggage that I have and because I inherited some of this baggage as well. And we're sitting there and we're watching Charles Stanley, of all people, give his testimony on how he came to Christ. Any of you ever heard Charles Stanley's testimony? He got saved in a Pentecostal church while a woman was preaching the gospel. He, it clicked and he got saved. Now, you know he's a Southern Baptist. I think, isn't he Southern Baptist? And so it, it just wasn't fit. And I'm going, you got to be kidding. And I'm loving it. Listen, it's, it's, he's not live. It's on a video. And I'm listening to this guy give this testimony. While I'm watching it, my fantasy, favorite one that always TKO'd me, flew into my mind. I could see it. How many of you ever watch me quote scripture and every once in a while I leave you and I look at this dove-eyed stare into no man's land and you can tell I'm seeing my scripture? How many of you have ever seen that? I can actually see scripture now. I'm not quoting it, I'm reading it. I can see it like I see my hand. That this photo, uh, God has given me a photographic memory now of scripture. <laughs> Large portions, of, <clears throat> which is a blessing when you're preaching. Well, at that particular time, didn't have that gift, but this wicked one would come in. I'd see it just like I'd see my hand. I'd see this fantasy. And I remember going, and I said to God, I just started reading on warfare, and I said, God, I don't want that thought there. I mean, we just got through singing, hands raised, great hymns of the faith, 2,000 men's voices. Oh, just, oh, I felt close to God. Got my son with me. God, I don't want that thought there. And it's like God said, well, I don't either. Come on, somebody, are you doing a little simple logic right now? How many of you know when you have a wicked thought, God didn't put it there? Say amen. amen. 
It's not God. And I'm thinking, so now do a little bit of reasoning. You know, I was a cop for a good night for 11 years. I've got to be able to figure this out. Do a little investigation. If you don't want it there and God don't want it there, who wants it there? The enemy of my soul, who cannot read my mind, but he knows my past because he has observed my failures. And so he says, I'll take that. This one here will get him. I'll steal, kill, and destroy. He won't get anything out of this conference. I'll have him so, I'll tempt him, and then I'll torment him, saying, you call yourself a Christian, and you have those kind of thoughts in your mind. And then I get discouraged, defeated, and depressed. Now, he'd just repeat that, and I kept biting on it. I kept taking it, not knowing what to do. Here's what I did for the first time in my life. I did spiritual warfare. When the thought came in, I don't want that thought there. God said, I don't either. Well, who does? I said, God, could Satan have put that thought in my mind? And I said this, didn't even know the verse that well. It's 1 Corinthians 10, 5. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thought which exalts itself against the knowledge of God. People, not every thought you have is your own. Sometimes the devil fires one in there. I got to spot them. And then shield of faith is obedience to objective truth. Take the sword of the Spirit, shield of faith, lift her up. And it says it'll quench every fire. For the first time in my life, I said, Lord, I didn't know the verse that well, so I didn't quote it in that language. I just said, Lord, I refuse to receive that thought. Here are two big guns in the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it left the first time in my life. You know what I used to do? I used to try to deal with it. I used to try to wrestle with it in the flesh. And I'd say, oh, Tom, you shouldn't have that thought. Get that thought out of your mind. When you try to do that, you know what you do with that thought? You shove her back in the back of your mind on the scales of truth and a lie. And pretty soon, if you put enough of those back on the scales of the lie side, the truth, it'll go like this. Oh, it wins. And then you crash and burn. It may not be right then. It may be a week or two or three later. But you just deal with it in the flesh, and it will not go away. For the first time, in my, my, first time in my life, I did spiritual warfare, and the thought left. I knew I was clean, and I said to God, is that what you mean by resisting the devil? If it is, it's too simple. Is that what you mean? From that time, when our son would have been 15 to 16 years old till today, you think I haven't been fired at again? Come on. I've not been defeated one time in my mind with a wicked thought. Have I had him? Oh, Within a few years, I had a day where the devil rose up and I think a host came with him. And I was tormented all day long with wicked thoughts. And I kept fighting and standing and resisting. I, by that time, I had weapons that I will talk about tomorrow morning. Weapons. <clears throat> well, let me see. From that time till then, <clears throat> I'll make mention of this one time, and I finally cried out to God, and I said, if you don't help me, God, I'm going to fail. I'm wore out. I'm tired. Help me. And then I first, for the first time, learned to pray for holy warring angels to come and do the work of the ministry that no man can do. I said, God, I've got to have it. He said, well, they're in the wings waiting. It's a spiritual battle, Tom. It's not this. It's not flesh and blood. So many times spiritual warfare is a contest between demons who hinder and angels who minister. And if... Hebrews, oh man, I'm going to be into my whole stuff here. See, are not all angels ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who shall be heirs of salvation? I'm an heir of salvation. 
I'm not Satan's punching bag. I'm not putting up with it anymore. I have at my disposal holy warring angels to come and do the work in a minute. And I said, and I began to pray. That prayer is developed in it. I got news for you. The devil takes a shot at me now. I say, you better take your best shot because you're going to pay. Because I'm not your punching bag anymore. I've become a good soldier of Jesus Christ. According to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth. What is he talking about? Going off to war with Rome? He's talking about the, the Christian in a spiritual battle with the unseen enemy and the host of darkness. When they want to fight, you're no match. They're no match for what you have available. Oh, God, send holy warring angels. Do the work of the ministry no man can do. I pray that you would send angels that would bind the, the wicked spirits with fetters of bronze. They'd dangle them over the sides of the pit and torment them mercilessly for the, before the time. You just give them no lot and a quarter. I got news for you. You send them back to their captain, the captain of their side, the wicked one, beaten, bruised, and saying, don't give me that assignment again. Joyce and I do not experience the assaults of the enemy in intensity like we used to, because we stood. And after you've, it's a matter of standing up, suiting up, and saying, take your best shot. I'm not giving ground. You're all done punching me around. And you'll defeat the enemy. You'll resist him, and he will have to flee and say, God, take all his wicked works with him. Clean up the residue of the trash he's thrown at me. I want to be a good soldier. I want to finish this thing well. One of the goals of my life is to finish well. I don't think you can finish well and ignore the devil. I think you need to learn how to stand. And once you, I love to listen to my little gray-haired wife warfare pray. I love to how of you know, if it's not a flesh and blood battle, your physical position means nothing. Did you know that? Nobody goes like this to the devil. And he goes, Ugh. God, would you send me some help? <laughs> I'm ready to do this, and so come in the morning, okay? I'm fired up on this one. I'll leave you with this. I... I had a friend at a men's retreat I've got to know over the last few years down in the southwest corner of the state. And he came with me. His name is Mark. Loves the Lord. Good man. He said, Tom, if you could invent something that would help Christians more than anything else you could invent, what would you invent? I hate it when people ask me questions like that because I always feel like I'm supposed to have an answer. And I, I never, how of you would be willing to admit you've never thought about it? If you could invent something to help Christians, you'd invent, I, I don't know. I, so I'm trying to think, cure for cancer. My mind's going 100 miles an hour. And finally I realized, you don't have a clue. So just tell them you don't know. I said, I don't know what I would invent. What would Because when a person asks those kind of questions, they want you to ask them because they've already got an answer, okay? So I said, what would you invent? He said, I would invent glasses that would allow people to see the unseen world. When he said, that's just what I did, I went, ooh. How many of you know the Bible talks about unseen angels? Good and evil, elect, holy, and wicked that are here. They're just moving around. And I thought about that. Then everyone would believe if we could see the unseen. Would that please God? No. See, that's just a sight thing. God wants us to walk by faith and say they're there whether you can see them or not. Any of you follow that reasoning? Whether you, I just have to believe it. I move into that arena when I, by faith, Take the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, sandals of peace, the girdle of truth, and say, take your best shot. I'm all done being kicked around by you. You want to fight? Let's dance.
because I already know, I already know that I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Would you say amen to that? See, and I move into that. It's, it's not a matter of theology that kind of splattered out here in a no man's land. It's something that on a day-to-day basis I need to be aware of. Warren Wiersbe said, when I'm getting out of bed in the morning and taking off my pajamas, I'm putting on my armor. First time I read that, I thought, what is he talking about? Not a day of my life do I not get out of bed without putting on all my armor. Because I know today may be a day I'm going to face the enemy. He may want my scalp today. I'm ready. You can be ready. And you fight the good fight of faith. That's enough. Sorry I OD you. Apologize. I just know it's been a game changer for me. So we'll talk about warfare tomorrow and maybe get into grace. I don't want to spend the whole time on warfare, the weapons. That's all this book is about is about weapons. I list 21, I have 26. You get the point once you see what a weapon is. And uh, we'll take that up tomorrow morning. Heavenly Father, would you help us to process and digest the things of your spirit as you want to minister that grace to us? as you want to open up scriptures to us, as we seek your face, and that is in our court. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, and call upon him while he's near. During times of preaching, praying, singing, fellowship, these kind of things, God, we confess, those are times where we sense your nearness. You may be just as near midweek when we're out on our own doing things, but we sense your nearness. So we call upon you and ask you to help us during this time. Equip us somewhere, just a degree or two, dear God. We don't go from A to Z in a moment. We don't cover all the numerical steps of the journey in one day. But in the journey, equip us for that day's living. Help us. I pray a special hedge of protection around each and every one of us, our families, our children, our grandchildren, our mates, our loved ones, family, friends. In the name and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, hedge up our ways. God, give us time and uh, a mind to gather ourselves in Christ and to think wisely. Give us wisdom. Help us in our time of needs. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness, long-suffering, gentleness, your grace. We love you. And we confess the only reason we do is because you first loved us. You took the initiative. Thank you. In the precious name of your Son, our Savior, I pray these things. Amen.